the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. Look around you and you'll almost certainly find countless products made from oil. Plastics, electronics, cars, planes, and roads we drive on are all products of crude oil. If we stop using oil as the environmentalists would have us do, our current standard of living would be impossible. Not only would we be unable to have the products we have because they depend on it, of course, but there'd be no electricity of any kind for even wind and solar power. Uh, the, the machines are made using oil. A world without oil is a world many centuries in the past where poverty and disease were rampant. So we must ask ourselves if we're really willing to sacrifice our way of life for a hypothetical environmental disaster that many experts tell us is nowhere near as catastrophic as we're being told by the government and mainstream media. Our guest today is engineer Ron Stein, who will discuss the impacts of reducing our use of crude oil and the essential role it plays in our society. Ronald Stein is an energy literacy consultant, so it's perfect to have on our show today, and co-author of the Pulitzer Prize-nominated book, Clean Energy Exploitations, which I use as a reference all the time. He is a policy advisor on energy literacy for the Heartland Institute and the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, and a national TV commentator for energy and infrastructure with Rick Amato. So welcome to the show, Ron. Glad to be aboard, Tom. Yeah, great. Well, can you start out? Tell us, why is crude oil essential to our society? Well, I guess the best thing is go back 200 years. 200 years ago, there was about a billion people on this planet. And that's when oil was discovered. And 200 years ago, life longevity was about 40 years of age. When people were born, they very seldom traveled 100 miles from where they were born. And since the discovery of oil and humanity's ingenuity, we've been able to take that crude oil, which is basically useless, black tar, unless you can refine it and break it down into something usable. So today, these refineries that exist around the world, which is like 700 of them, providing you know products for humanity, we now have 8 billion people we went from 1 billion to 8 billion in 200 years because of all the products we have that come out of uh, crude oil from the petrochemicals that are manufactured. They make the products. So today we have a medical industry we didn't have 200 years ago. We have transportation we didn't have 200 years ago. Communications we didn't have 200 years ago. And life longevity is grown to be like 80 plus Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, like I say, we, uh, we enjoy a very successful life. And if you look around in your house, your office, the hospital, try and identify something, anything that was not made with crude oil. Yeah. Well, we see, of course, um, food storage. I mean, that's a big one, you know, baggies. And, and I guess it, indirectly, even the desk, you know, this wooden desk, uh, they had to make the tabletop. And so they use fossil fuels to actually cut the trees and and to lacquer the wood and everything else. So, I mean, it's just virtually everywhere, isn't it? Is there a replacement for fossil fuels right now when it comes to products? We've been trying to find one, but uh, 
but unable to do it. I'm a proponent of getting rid of crude oil if there's a backup plan. Mm-hmm. But I'm not willing to jump out of the airplane without a parachute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it is kind of ironic that so many of the environmental protesters, they drive to the protest and they use their cell phones to organize it and their computer and everything else. So how, how do they use oil to make a product? You know, let's say, for example, the cell phone cover that I have here, right? That's made with plastic. So what do they do? They use oil as the basic ingredient? Yes, yeah, so a barrel of oil is about 42 gallons of crude oil. And today about half of it is used to make fuels for cars, trucks, airplanes, the space program, you know, et cetera, different uh, grades of fuel. Merchant ships use a different grade of fuel. The other half of the barrel is usually broken down into petrochemicals that are the foundation of making all these products. Mm-hmm. Like I say, crude oil can make the iPhone Electricity can charge it, but electricity can't make it. Yeah, yeah. And I understand they're actually closing refineries in the Western world and that the United States may actually end up with a a problem that way. Well, you know, some of them have been getting old and it's hard to get a permit to retrofit them and bring them up to speed. And, you know, instead of fighting politics, they're just, you know, venturing into different propositions. And Mm -hmm. the bottom line is, it's the 8 billion people that are be the recipient of shortages and inflation and perpetuity because, you know, right now, yeah, we got 8 billion people, but now we need all these products to keep them alive, well, healthy. You know, we can grow food in any country and fly it to a different country. You know, today we got 50,000 merchant ships. Uh, we got 50,000 commercial planes. We have 20,000 military uh, aircraft. I mean, these things didn't exist 200 years ago. And today we need them to keep the 8 billion people alive. Yeah. So that would suggest that if we got rid of fossil fuels entirely, including for products, we would see mass starvation, I presume. Exactly. Yeah, there'd be uh, starvation, malnutrition, uh, weather-related deaths, because, you know, we've eliminated over those 200 years probably more than 90% of weather-related deaths. Because if it's too hot, put the air conditioner on. If it's too cold, you know, you, you put the heater on or, you know, you put more clothes on. But, uh, yeah, it's like I say, there's, there's 6,000 products that are just part of our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would eliminate all the hospitals. Hospitals didn't exist 200 years ago. Medications didn't exist 200 years ago other than the medicine man. <laughs> <laughs> so like in a hospital, for example, let's just go through a bit of a list as to what would require oil. And I guess oil is the stock product, right? It's not natural gas for pro- for plastics? No, no. Oh, yeah, okay. Oil is prim- so, oil is primary. so you go into the hospital and they put on a heart rate monitor, which is undoubtedly plastic, at least mm-hmm. some parts of it. And uh, then you get a, a blood transfusion from a plastic bag with all the tubes and everything else. And then all the materials that they use to make the scaffolding, scaffold or, you know, all of the different equipment they use is, is mined using fossil fuels as the energy source. So, and, and of course, then they're heating the buildings with natural gas, et cetera. So, I mean, you just don't have a hospital without fossil fuels. Well, exactly. All those products you mentioned, mm-hmm. wind turbines and solar panels can manufacture none of them. Yeah. And that's actually a point I want to come back to is 
without oil, you don't have wind and solar power, do you? Well, that's right. Because, you know, a basic concept people should understand is everything that needs electricity, I'll say it again, everything that needs electricity is made with oil. Mm -hmm. your, your iPhone, your television, it's all made with oil. And it needs electricity. And, you know, you take wind turbines and solar panels on the other hand, all the parts for wind turbines and solar panels are made with oil. Mm. So if you get rid of oil, you get rid of wind turbines and solar panels. Nuclear power, all the parts for nuclear power are made from fossil fuel. So within a wind turbine, there'd be a lot of plastic, I presume. A lot of plastics, a lot of controls. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, like I say, you, you, nothing is, is exempt. And that's the situation that we're in because wind and solar manufacture absolutely nothing. Mm, yeah. all, they, all they can do is they can make the iPhone work, but they can't make an iPhone. Uh -huh. They can make the so, defibrillator in the hospital work, but they can't make the defibrillator. Yeah, exactly. So when you look at the electricity part, how are wind and solar insufficient? Like, why are they insufficient? Well, they are insufficient because they make, they make nothing for society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... they don't make any products. But, but when it comes to the electricity, some people say, oh, we're going to have a transition to wind and solar power for electricity. Would you support that? I definitely would not. If mm. I'm on the operating table, I do not want to depend on weather for the electricity to keep the operating room running. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, can you imagine the day of your operation for a heart disease, you get a call saying, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Harris, uh, it's not windy today or it's not sunny, you know? And and of course, the the other question is, they also, oh, well, we're going to have batteries, you know, we're going to charge them up and we'll have power for many hours afterwards. Is that realistic? I mean, do batteries act as a substantial backup that could be relied on for wind and solar power? Well, I guess a simple answer would be, you know, like a Tesla battery is about a thousand pounds. And to make that battery, to get all the lithium and cobalt and all the exotic minerals and metals, you got to move about 500,000 pounds of dirt. And wow. if you're moving 500,000 pounds of dirt, you're using heavy, heavy machinery that's made with fossil fuels, powered by fuel that comes from crude oil. And so you can't even make the battery without crude oil. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so you sort of wonder, are the environmentalists that dumb or are they truly trying to massively reduce our standard of living? No, Tom, I think if you take a look at all the uh, policy advisors, the policy makers, all the politicians, almost none are engineers. So mm -hmm. I could understand their misunderstanding. Um, I mean, take President Joe Biden flying around in a 400-ton airplane, and he's screaming in the microphone, we're going to get rid of crude oil. Tom, <laughs> you get rid of crude oil, you're ground Air Force One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And you go back to the Stone Age, essentially, and the Earth, we, we can't support 8 billion people with the kind of pre-industrial sort of society, could, could we? No, no. Like I say, we need the... Uh, we're moving medications and food and products all over the world. We make something mm -hmm. in one country, move it to another country, because not one country is making everything for themselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of importing and exporting. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, airports didn't exist 200 years ago. Yeah. 
the the shipping ports didn't exist 200 years ago because there were no mm-hmm. ships other than a few sailboats. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's a different lifestyle. And, yeah, you're right. You get rid of crude oil, and that's probably the best way to get rid of a couple billion people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I understand that they use natural gas for making pharmaceuticals as well. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Natural mm-hmm. gas is used for uh, for that and um, also fertilizers, which helps us uh, grow a lot of food and pesticides. Oh, yeah. which... I want to focus a little on that. So they use natural gas. How do they use it for making fertilizers? Well, it's, it's used to... You know, the, the derivatives that come out of natural gas is is making the fertilizers, you know, pesticides that help control the insects. Mm-hmm. So and, the nitrogen, I guess, in, in fertilizers, that comes from some process with natural gas, right? Yes, yes. The thing about fossil fuels, it's a very carbon uh, foundation because a lot of oxygen and hydrogen components, but it's basically a carbon-based uh, society. Mm-hmm. And that's that might be one of the reasons we've been unable to duplicate it. Mm-hmm. Like I say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people don't like it because of the emissions, but, you know, it, it's allowed us to grow from one to eight billion people, which is, you know, I think a, a great achievement. Maybe some people think it's not an achievement. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, in a way, it's kind of like you're climbing a tree and you go out on a branch and then you're going to turn around and cut the branch. So we got 8 billion people as a result of using fossil fuels. And then we're going to stop using fossil fuels. I mean, even if even if you could replace it all with nuclear, which is a good solid energy source, you're still faced with the products problem. And as you said, about half of the barrel of oil, barrel of you know crude oil, is not being used for electricity, it's being used for products. And I, I don't think people understand that when they talk about the transition away from oil. Uh, surely, I mean, I guess they really are that dumb. They just don't understand it, do they? <laughs> well, like I said, because the people making the decisions are not engineers, um, mm-hmm. I can... I can understand their their misunderstanding, but you know everything, even nuclear. I mean, to build a nuclear power plant, you mm-hmm. need crude oil for all the machinery and and all the products that they're being made from fossil fuels. And you know, electricity cannot exist without crude oil. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at transportation, I mean, how would we have transportation without crude oil? First thing you use is tires. Oh, <laughs> there right. tires yeah. before the 1800s. Uh-huh. And so, you know, every vehicle's got at least four tires and maybe a spare, and bigger vehicles have more tires. But, you know, get down to the basic tires, asphalt. That goes mm-hmm. away. Okay, so asphalt as well, that's made with oil. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So your road, you can't replace your roads. <laughs> and of course, no. they want to get rid of cement, which of course is ludicrous because of course, cement, although it produces a lot of CO2, I mean, what are we going to do? Import cement from China? <laughs> well, it, it's got to be liquid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's, it's interesting. Now, are these climate policies being introduced in places like China? You know, do we see them stopping, you know, the use of uh, crude oil and natural gas? Oh, absolutely not. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like, like, say, China and India, they're building a coal-fired power plant almost, well, 
one a week because they want electricity. Mm. The, the problem with wind and solar is it's a, a secondary electricity generating system. It's redundant to coal, natural gas, nuclear, and hydro, which provides continuous uninterruptible electricity. So mm -hmm. wind and solar is only intermittent. They need a backup. So it's really just a redundant electrical generating system that's costing a lot of money. And, and basically, Tom, wind and solar don't work most of the time. Yeah. Now, now what fraction of the time would you say that, let's say, in a, in a sunny place like California, what fraction of the time would solar power be actually producing at the rated capacity? Well, if you talk about California, that might be a bad example because California imports more electricity than any other state in the country. Okay. <laughs> we've we've re reduced our reliable, uninterruptible power supplies, coal, natural gas, and we're, we're shutting them down. We shut down one nuclear power plant. The second one is on the blocks, might be coming down soon. And so we're not generating enough electricity so we're importing it from adjoining states and i guess that'll continue as long as they have available electricity to send to us if they need it they got it and we want it and we won't get it <laughs> so yeah yeah when you take a look at you know at the country you know you take the midwest you know you get you know hailstorms snowstorms you know tornadoes it's just, you know, the weather conditions are not conducive to have continuous, uninterruptible electricity. And if you're running a business or a hospital, or if you're running an airport, you want continuous electricity to keep your communication systems operating. Mm -hmm. and, and But, you know, what they're saying here in Ottawa is that, sure, it's true that this time of year we get only about eight hours of sunlight a day. Two-thirds of the day it's dark here, <laughs> so we're not getting any yeah. solar power. Um, but they're saying we can back it up with batteries now what would you say to the city of ottawa if you were speaking to them when they make that argument well how are they going to make their batteries you know and then you take a look uh have them read my book uh, that i co-authored with todd royal clean energy exploitations yeah because all the exotic mm -hmm. minerals and metals to make those batteries are coming from developing countries that have no environmental laws, no labor laws, and they're exploiting the people that have yellow, brown, and black skin. The humanity atrocities are unbelievable, and the exploitation of, of people is, is uncontrolled. You've heard of um, the movie Blood Diamonds that DiCaprio was in? Well, they, these are blood minerals. We've got kids, you know, six years old, mining yeah. for it, yeah. and the environmental now, degradation is atrocious. You know, mm -hmm. lithium mining is strip mining. It is dirty. Mm -hmm. Coal mining is clean compared to lithium mining. Mm -hmm. And and like I say, it's okay because it's over there. We can't see it. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. I think I think pursuing batteries and lithium and cobalt from these developing countries is unethical and immoral. Mm -hmm. Now, the city of Ottawa says that they have all of their suppliers sign an agreement that they're not using child labor or slave labor. But, I mean, really, are any of the battery companies sending inspectors deep into the Chinese-controlled mines in the Congo to see if there's any children? I mean, how do you trust 
that they're not actually signing the contract just to get, you know, get the agreement. And then they do whatever they want anyways. Do we have inspectors walking around inside Chinese controlled mines in the Congo? Not that I know of. And mm. there's no private jets flying in to take a look at because there's no airports near these mines. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. I actually contacted one of the battery companies that is supplying batteries for our electric vehicle buses. And I said, okay, I see on your website that suppliers have to sign this thing that says that they're not using slave labor or child labor. But how do you actually enforce it? How do you actually find that they're really following it? And they just don't answer so I guess the bottom line is they almost certainly are not able to confirm what's really going on deep in a mine in the Congo. Uh, it was like the uh, sweatshops in the uh, you know, clothing industry decades ago. Uh -huh. You know, we had the same problem, you know, and like I say, they would, you know, they would agree to anything and continue the, uh, the sweatshops until I guess the world kind of clamped down on them. Yeah. But, so what you've got then is you have these electric vehicles that require cobalt mined by children as young as four years old in some cases in the Congo. The the mineral then is shipped to China. Do they use the Uyghurs for processing it? You know, slave labor there. Oh yes, yes. Uh, like you say, they, you know, they're you know when you consider the eight billion people on this earth, eighty percent of that number that's more than six billion people. They're living on less than ten dollars a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The whole green movement is only the wealthy countries. Yeah, you know the U.S., the U.K., you know Germany, Australia. You know, and basically, you can take those wealthy countries, which is representing maybe maybe a billion people, wipe them off the face of the earth, eliminate every person, every building, every manufacturer, and the result is emissions are going to explode. Mm. Because the developing countries, they're they're back in the Stone Ages. They're burning yeah, so they want a cow dunk, you know, for, for heat. And... Right. They want to pull their people out of poverty. And it's interesting, Ron, in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which underlies the Paris Agreement, there's actually an article, Article 4, that says the first and overriding priority for developing countries is poverty alleviation and development. Which, of course, makes sense. So I, I would suspect that by the year 2030, when China is supposed to cap its emissions of carbon dioxide, they're going to say, well, the underlying clause here says that our first priority is poverty alleviation and development. So, yeah, we're going to keep building coal stations because that's how we alleviate poverty and develop. So surely they're not likely to cap emissions at 2030 in the final analysis. Well, Tom, you're right. I mean, they want to provide their citizens with continuous, uninterruptible electricity, mm -hmm. and they can get that from coal. They yeah. can't get that from, from wind and solar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Now, it strikes me that climate policies are particularly harmful for developing countries. Can you tell us why that would be? Well, ironically, I, I think they're. it's not bad for them. It's really bad for us because we're... Yeah, I live in California, and we love to, I'll use the term, leak emissions somewhere else. We're not going to make it here. Now, you would think you'd want to make it in California. California is the most environmentally controlled location in the world. So if you want to build anything or make anything, you want to do it here to reduce the emissions. So we say, no, no, no. We're going to basically not do it here. We're going to do it somewhere else and, and basically bring it in by ship or by plane. 
Well, by doing that, we're actually increasing world emissions because emissions over there are greater than if we did it here. Oh, that's interesting. So that's what leakage is all about. The whole idea that because we don't make it here, we make it in developing countries, many of our products, the actual, if you're concerned about CO2 emissions, the actual CO2 and pollution emissions are going to increase because of regulations in California. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's it's less expensive if they do it over there because Mm -hmm. labor's cheap, you know, and emissions are, you know, uncontrollable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I look at the energy side. We were talking about crude oil to begin with. We have been reducing in-state oil production in California for, you know, like 50 years. When the oil embargo hit the United States uh, 50 years ago, the United States was 95%. I mean, California is 95% independent. Between mm-hmm. California oil production and oil from Alaska, we met 95% of our needs. Mm-hmm. Today, that 5% has grown to 60%. Wow. We depend so even... on, for, on foreign countries for 60% of our oil. They wow. can create emissions over there. It's not being created in California. But the, yeah. interesting, thing, the interesting thing is the tankers that, that bring the oil to the United States, they use a low-grade fuel, a bunker fuel. And the tanker emissions, you ready for this? The tanker emissions to bring oil to California is double the entire mobile fleet of the state of California. Jeez. But that's okay because <laughs> I mean, that's it, it's outside the perimeter of California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so the net result is more emissions. And if you're concerned about climate change, uh, then the last thing you want to do is ship everything to China. You want to have it processed here. Well, the fact that we, you know, California is the fourth largest economy in the world, mm-hmm. and we've grown from 5% dependent on foreign crude oil to more than 60%. Yeah. California is a national security risk for the entire country. You know, mm-hmm. we, have, we have nine international airports in California, three of the busiest shipping ports in, Cal- in California are located on the West Coast, and they're basically operated by foreign oil mm-hmm. yeah that's as nuts well we have to go for a break now a- after the break ron uh can you talk about your book energy exploitations because i think that's yes. really important for our listeners to learn about so we'll be right back after the break the buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health global healings foreign protein cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. 
Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. So I'm back with engineer Ronald Stein. He, along with Todd Royal, is the author of a very important book called Energy Exploitation. So what is this exploitation and what's your book about, Ron? Well, Clean Energy Exploitations is, Todd Royal wrote it, to bring transparency to the reality that all the exotic minerals and metals, the lithium, the cobalts, and all the exotic minerals and metals, are being mined in developing countries that have no environmental controls and no labor controls. And the environmental degradation is atrocious because of no environmental controls. The labor atrocities to, you know, people have yellow, brown, and black skin is atrocious. And it's, you know, like I say, it's cheap. The labor is cheap with no labor laws and no environmental laws. It's a cost-effective way to get the materials here. And, you know, both Todd and I believe it's unethical 
it's immoral to take advantage of those people. DiCaprio, you know, made that movie Blood Diamonds, you know, several mm -hmm. years ago. Well, we equate these as blood minerals mm -hmm. because of the efforts going into it. In fact, the uh, photo we used for the cover of the book was taken in Africa. It's a military guy with an Uzi overlooking a family mining for this stuff by hand mm -hmm. in atrocious conditions, but uh, all so that the wealthy countries, and it's the only wealthy countries that really want to go green, the wealthy countries can subsidize anything. Developing countries, they're you know, making less than $10 a day. They can't subsidize themselves out of a paper bag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they would love to enjoy join the industrial revolution that we're involved in, but they're probably not going to make it because we're making mm -hmm. it so difficult on them. But it was, uh, yeah, basically just the, the labor atrocities is just something that I, I think people probably should read the book before they consider making the final decision to buy their EV. Well, yeah. Now, now they'll say, well, you know, the, the companies are signing these agreements saying they're not, using slave labor and they're not using child labor but you don't think there's much credibility in those agreements do you i don't i don't because the only way to keep the cost down for lithium and cobalt because you know the thousand pound battery in a tesla if if you basically mine for the lithium and cobalt in areas that have labor laws well the cost of lithium and cobalt is going to go up and if you pay them regular wages, the cost of lithium and cobalt is going to go up. And Tom, you can't afford to increase the price of the EV now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's already yeah. out of range. So and does most of the cobalt, where does most of the cobalt come from? And the same with lithium. Uh, I think it's in South America. A lot of the is, uh, is lithium, lithium, right? tri lithium triangle, but it's yeah. controlled by the Chinese. The Chinese have uh -huh. it under control. Yeah. And so, yeah, they have their fingers everywhere. And, but, and what's uh, the problem? I understand the cobalt issue, but what's the problem with lithium mining? Like, what is the environmental and, uh, you know, human rights impacts of that? Well, lithium mining is, is strip mining, and mm -hmm. it is it is dirty. I mean, it, it, it kills your, your water supply. And, you know, when you take a look at a lithium mine, it is dirty. It, relative to coal mining, Coal mining is clean compared to lithium mining. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we have lithium here in the United States, but if we mine for it here, we'd have to pay going wages. The environmentalists would be all over it to make sure it was environmentally safe. And the, the cost of the EV would go skyrocketing because the mm -hmm. batteries can go out of, out of the roof. Mm -hmm. So lithium is mostly from South America, and yes. with the huge amounts of water they use in what are dry areas, that would really affect the local farmers, wouldn't it? That plus it contaminates the water, so it can't be used for irrigation, can't oh, be used okay. for drinking. Uh -huh. Yeah, it, it's like I say, it's it's something that we don't really pay much attention to because we can't see it. Yeah, yeah. Thomas so that's interesting. So when they keep talking about, oh, we have a new lithium discovery in America, the trouble is to pay them properly, to have environmental controls, human rights, et cetera, it would just price the EV out of the marketplace. Exactly. If they ever got the permit to do it, right, mm -hmm. it would just be too costly. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, you know, I always like to look at root causes for all of these things. And I'm just writing an article, which will be on America Out Loud in a couple of days, about how there's so many consequences of the climate scare. And of course, wind and solar power is supposedly going to help us stop climate change. But when you actually look at it, isn't there a lot of CO2 being produced when you actually make wind and solar power plants? Definitely, definitely. The one thing I guess that people don't talk about when they talk about climate change is the world's been around billions of years and the climate's been changing for billions of years. And the world's gone through numerous ice ages, gone into them and coming out of them. And when you come out of an ice age, it takes a lot of heat to come out of the ice age. Right. And there was nobody, nobody on earth at that time. And so what caused us to come out of the ice age? Yeah, you, know, you can yeah. you can microscopically take a look and say, hey, the temperature went up two degrees today. But, you know, like I say, the, the world is a pretty powerful piece of equipment. Yeah. And individuals, yeah, I, I, I don't think we have any control over nature. Well, you might recall I recently wrote an article that we don't even know what the so-called global temperature is anyways. So, I mean, the, the point that some people are making, Chris Essex and Ross McKittrick, for example, who are authors of that book, Taken by Storm, they say, well, if you don't know what the so-called global average temperature is, how can you even say that it's warming? I mean, really? <laughs> well, exactly. But, but I mean, yeah, here in California, you know, our, our average day, we'll see like a 30 degree change. Temperature at mm-hmm. you know seven o'clock in the morning versus you know four o'clock in the afternoon, it could be a thirty degree change, and if it changed mm-hmm. thirty point one degrees, I'm not sure I would see the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, actually, if you plot a graph of temperature, let's say from zero Fahrenheit to hundred Fahrenheit, which is the kind of range that people live in typically, you can't see the change over a century. I mean, it's so tiny. And, you know, so, I mean, they always say, of course, this whole thing is based on computer models. But, I mean, they don't work very well. So if you're actually talking to an average citizen, the first thing you'd have them do, of course, is read your book. Read Energy Exploitations. And we'll we'll include a link to it under the webpage. But you've written other books, too, that they should know about. Uh, In fact, I'm reading one of them upstairs, uh, The Basics of Energy. I can't remember the name of it exactly. Well, just Green Electricity. Okay. And, uh, yeah, you, you really have to, uh, you know, the, the one thing that bothers me most about the big environmental movement is they haven't come up with a supply chain to keep the products moving to support the 8 billion people. They're only focused mm-hmm. on temperature change or emissions, but there's no regard to the 8 billion people. You know, what, what's mm-hmm. the repercussion on 8 billion people? Um, that, that, that's got to be, you know, disastrous to everybody. But, yeah, we have, uh, you know, just green electricity and energy made easy with the other two. Well, groups. yeah, and I get the impression that to a certain extent they're actually anti, anti-human. Yeah. Yeah, well, energy made easy. That's the one I'm reading upstairs, and yeah. it, it's really good. Yeah, like you say, it's, it's the type of thing that um, – I'm all for getting rid of oil if there's a backup plan, but there's no backup Mm -hmm. plan. Yeah. And it's like, you know, cutting, cutting your legs off, you know, despite yourself. With fracking, 
are we actually, you know, a lot of people say that we, we will run out of oil very soon, but is that true? When you count fracking and all the other developments, the oil sands, et cetera, are we on the verge of running out of oil? Well, Tom, you know, nothing's going to last forever. You know, like you say, right now, there's not enough lithium in the world to build that many batteries for the vehicles we have. And mm -hmm. are we going to run out of oil, you know, in the next thousand years? We're going to, it's going to get leaner, but every country has oil. We have done, I think, a fantastic job of focusing on increasing efficiencies and conservation. You know, the first cars that were developed got, you know, less than 10 miles to a gallon. Now they're getting 40 and 50 miles to a gallon. The emission controls on vehicles, you know, the early cars were smokers. I have a Mercedes right now, but when I was a teenager, you open up the hood, you could hide two of your buddies under the hood. I opened <laughs> yeah. up the hood of my Mercedes. I don't have room to put a sandwich in there. There's yeah. so much emission yeah. controls. But no, we have to focus on conservation and efficiencies. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, like I say, crude oil has done phenomenal. It's allowed us to grow from one day billion in 200 years. We've got a great medical industry uh, that's, you know, getting people to live longer and longer and longer. And uh, I, I, like I say, it, it won't last forever if we just waste it. So mm -hmm. we really want to focus on, you know, conservation and having, you know, wind and solar that, you know, it seems ridiculous to invest so much money and subsidize so much money for electrical generation systems that don't work most of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's a yeah. wastage as, as I see it. Yeah. Now, to give people an idea where their electricity comes from, I know in the Middle East they use oil a lot, Algeria, places like that, to generate electricity. The United States, I understand, it's only about half of 1%. So where does all the rest of the electricity in the U.S. come from? Well, in the United States, it's either going to come from hydro, but consider even hydro. You can't mm -hmm. build a hydro plant without fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because exactly. all the equipment for construction and all the electronics to control the, you know, electricity and monitor it and you know, watch the monitors, all those pieces and parts are made from oil. Yeah. Electricity makes nothing. So you've got hydroelectric, uh, some fraction of nuclear. Is natural gas like, would it be the major energy source for electricity in the U.S.? Or is coal you know, that, still? I, I think coal is. Uh -huh. um, you know, I know in the United States, we're also in, in favor of getting rid of nuclear. You know, I think the rest of the world is, is focusing on nuclear, but not the United States. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. going to get rid of nuclear. We're going to get rid of coal. We're going to get rid of natural gas. And we're going to live on wind and solar. Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> going to die on wind and solar is what it boils down to. So, so a, a question I, we can spend the rest of the interview talking about is, what can we do to help prevent the destruction of our society from dangerous climate change policies? Like, what should the average person do besides educate themselves with your books? What can they do? Enter into discussions. There's mm -hmm. got to be discussions. Um, you know, I, when I give a presentation, I do not like to give a presentation as much as I have a fireside chat. Because mm -hmm. I want to talk to the audience about what they want to talk about. You want to talk about EVs, wind, solar, nuclear, you know, hydro, whatever. I want to talk about what they want to talk about. 
And most people are intimidated to ask an intelligent question on energy because energy yeah. can get pretty complicated. And so I provide the moderator, I'll provide the audience with 50 open-ended questions so they can stand up and, and read it. And it's open-ended if they want to talk about EVs. I could start the conversation and we get a conversation going. Yeah. Today, all of our policymakers only talk into the microphone. Yeah. You know, we're jumping out of the airplane without a parachute and the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is there a backup plan? What's the repercussions if you jump out of that airplane? Yeah. So, so do you think it's worthwhile them writing their elected representatives or is like in Canada, that's virtually a waste of time unless you have a thousand people doing it. I don't know if writing is, they kind of get buried. Um, I, you know, my op-eds that go out on a weekly basis probably get exposed because they get reposted all over the world. Uh, probably mm -hmm. get exposed to half a million people. And Tom, I'm seeing more and more articles written around the world. In fact, I've got a, a conversation tomorrow morning with a guy in Copenhagen. I'm in California. He's nine mm -hmm. hours away. And uh, we'll be talking about it. But there's got to be conversations because, mm -hmm. like I say, it's, you know, it, it's great to come up with this program, but what's the repercussion? You want to get rid of crude oil. You're telling me you want to get rid of hospitals, you want to get rid of airports, you want to get rid of tires, you want to get rid of asphalt? Is that what you really want to do? Because wind yeah. and solar is not going to do anything for us. It's only mm -hmm. provide electricity. And if you can't make the iPhone, it will have no iPhones to provide electricity to. Yeah. So first thing is educate themselves. Second thing is speak to their friends, their relatives, anybody they can about you know, the, the insanity of this oil transition or the transition away from oil. Um, but the other thing I wonder is maybe they should be calling into talk radio where they can't be censored because I've found that the media, generally speaking, censor out a lot of the information that you're talking about. If you send a letter to the editor saying, you know, these wind turbines are never going to make plastic, uh, you know, often they don't publish. So it sounds to me like they should call into talk radio and that sort of thing. Go to public meetings, get up to the microphone. Um, I agree 100%. Talk radio mm -hmm. is conversations. Mm -hmm. It's going to be conversations. All of the, the three books that Todd Rowe and I have written are all in layman's terms. There's no complicated mm -hmm. graphs and charts. You know, I'm an engineer. I see a lot of reports I can't even understand. <laughs> so mm -hmm. complicated. But all of the books we've written is in layman's terms. The opt-eds are in layman's terms. My goal and passion is to provide energy literacy. Enough mm -hmm. energy literacy that when folks can talk about it at the dinner table. Yeah. And, yeah. and know, I'll, I'll link to all your books under the podcast. As I say, I'm reading Energy Made Easy right now. That's the that's the title of your book, eh? Yes, yes. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, if you talk about it at the dinner table, you know, one person can say, well, I'm 100% in favor of getting rid of oil and let's have wind and solar. Well, what's the repercussions? You know, if you get mm -hmm. rid of oil, you know, the hospitals go away. Because everything mm -hmm. in a hospital is made from oil, and wind and solar can yeah. make nothing. Yeah. Do, do you find that the society as a whole are generally waking up, or is this still something that's yet to happen? I, I definitely see it waking up, because like I, I mentioned before, I see articles being written on the same subject of energy literacy around the world. They're saying, mm -hmm. you know, in their, their words, but pretty much the same message I'm saying that... This, this is, wind and solar is not a solution to keep 8 billion people alive. Mm 
Yeah, for sure. And that's that's the bottom line is how are you going to keep the supply chain to keep those people alive? If, if you got them in the hospital, you got to keep the medications going. You got to keep the air conditioning going. The operating room's got to be 24 mm-hmm. seven. You know, think about all the airports mm-hmm. that exist today that didn't exist yeah. 20 years ago. You know, everybody has vacation plans. Well, they all go away yeah, so- without oil. Well, do you have plans for writing another book? Um, I've been so busy with uh, podcasts and opt-ed articles. Um, it's changing so fast. I, I think this is. I think twenty twenty four is going to be a fantastic year for more people gaining energy literacy and being able to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. you know, when the politicians say we're going to do this. You know, there could be catastrophic results if we do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't a left versus right issue, is it? Because, no, I mean, no. so often people will say, oh, you're a climate change denier. You're right wing, you know. Well, who cares what political persuasion if it's minus 30 here in Ottawa and we don't have heating, we don't have the plastics, et cetera, we need in the hospitals. It doesn't matter whether you're left or right. I mean, surely this should be a nonpartisan issue. Exactly. You know, I, I take a look at like EVs. Now, California's got probably the best temperate climate in the country. Um, and we have, of all the EVs in the entire country, of the United States, almost half of them are here in California. Mm. And I can understand that because, you know, if you're in North Dakota, you know, and you have a blizzard, you want your heater to work. Well, Tom, the heater mm-hmm. runs off the battery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And if, you know, if it's 110 degrees and you're in the desert, you want your conditioning running. Well, Tom, mm-hmm. the AC runs off the battery. And like I say, there's, it, it's, I don't, I think it's going to be probably a terrible, terrible year for EVs because the uh-huh. elites have bought them. The elites will continue to buy them. But Tom, we're running out of elites. Yeah, they're highly educated. They're high income, multi-car families, low mileage requirements. But most of the common folk are not highly educated, not high-income people, not multi-car families, and they don't live in a house. Mm-hmm. And, and it strikes me that, you know, do we have the electrical power generation capacity to go all electric in our transportation? Haven't you in California actually had instructions from the government to stop charging your cars because they don't have enough power? Oh, yeah. This last summer, we had a heat spell, and the first thing the government says, don't charge your EV. <laughs> hmm. Wow. So you're supposed to just not go anywhere. Well, you know, the other problem with EVs is they're heavy. They're much heavier vehicles. You know, the Tesla's a 1,000-pound battery. I think trucks, they want to go EV trucks, and they're like 14,000-pound batteries. So you got heavier vehicles tearing up the roads. And I know here in California, uh-huh. we have 400,000 miles of roadway throughout the state of California. And collectively, fuel taxes provide like $8.8 billion to maintain those roads. Mm-hmm. Now, EVs contribute nothing mm. to maintain the but roads. They, but they sure take them apart. <laughs> they, t- they take them apart. And as more EVs you know, become prevalent, there's going to be less fuel taxes to maintain those 400,000 miles of roads. Mm-hmm. They're being torn up at an accelerating rate. And so the bottom line is you're going to get either a couple of things, VMT, the vehicle mileage tax, you know, let the user pay the ones that use the roads. Uh, and then 
not sure how that's going to be implemented. There'll be a lot of, you know, probing of personal data to find out how much mileage you're, you're using on your car. Um, or the price of electricity is going to go skyrocketing. In the UK, they recognize that. They've got two problems. They've got, when everybody's charging their cars, it puts a lot of strain on the grid. So in the UK, all the chargers are programmed not to work mm-hmm. nine hours a day. They do not, they cannot function during peak load requirements. And most importantly, all those chargers, they're on separate meters. So they get charged mm-hmm. at a different rate. So if people are charging their cars, they're going to be paying for the road maintenance. So mm-hmm. you, think ele- you think gasoline prices are high? Electricity prices are probably going to be higher. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's interesting you're saying about the greater wear and tear on the roads. So that sounds like if Ottawa here in Canada wanted to move over to all electric vehicles, first of all, it would cost a lot more. Secondly, they've got to massively increase the charging infrastructure where you have charging stations. Thirdly, you have to massively increase the electrical supply. But fourthly, you're going to have to increase your road maintenance costs quite a lot. Yes, yes. Huh. And wow. you've got to find a source where those costs are going to be fed from. Mm-hmm. Right now, like you say, that you've got you know, fuel taxes provide a lot of revenue to the state of California and to other states as well. But yeah. uh, right now, there, there's no revenue source from EVs for road mm-hmm. maintenance. And to charge an EV, it typically takes what about a half an hour? Um, minimum, minimum, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a quick charge. But and again, if if you you know, mileage uh, anxiety is a yeah. problem. So so if I'm if I'm gassing up my car, I'm in and out of a gas station in about five or eight minutes, something like that. But if you're charging your your EV, you're sitting there for at least half an hour. So that would suggest that you need, if you had an equal number of cars that were EV, as we currently have gasoline, then you'd need a lot more charging stations, wouldn't you? You'd need a lot more space than we currently oh, yeah. have for gasoline. Yes, yes. And uh, like you say, I, I, I look at the situation. I live in a cul-de-sac in, in California. It's a long cul-de-sac. There's like 15 houses on each side, like 30 houses. So it's a long cul-de-sac. Well, I know the utility company brings in a circuit into the cul-de-sac. And if everybody in the cul-de-sac had an EV, they would have to increase the size of that power line coming in. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the other thing too is, you know, all the cables, I'm not sure where they would get the insulation because insulation is made from fossil fuels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so are there plans like Biden talks about pulling the whole U.S. fleet over to electric vehicles? Are there plans to massively increase the uh, ability to generate electricity? Do they have those plans? No, no. They have plans to make less electricity because, like I say, they want to, you know, in the United States, they want to eliminate you know, nuclear power, uh, coal, natural gas, which is continuous, uninterruptible mm-hmm. electricity and replace it with uh, with wind and solar. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about offshore wind and solar. Well, offshore wind and solar mm-hmm. affects the coasts. East Coast and West Coast might get that electricity. But if you're in Montana, <laughs> those offshore wind turbines aren't going to help you very much. It almost sounds like they want to get people out of their cars. They don't want people to drive anywhere. 
the big misunderstanding among all policymakers is the use of the word energy. They really have to talk about one of two subjects. It's either electricity or products. Because wind and solar Mm -hmm. generate electricity. You know, coal and natural gas is used for power plants and a few other things. But oil is virtually never used to generate electricity. It's only used Mm -hmm. to make products and fuels. And so oil does something Mm -hmm. totally different than wind and solar. So when they talk about energy, they say, well, wind and solar energy is going to replace crude oil. That can't happen. And so it's crazy. That's why you're an energy literacy consultant, <laughs> because people have got to understand these things. We have to wrap up now. My guest today has been Ronald Stein from California. He's an engineer and an energy literacy consultant. And I really encourage people read the book, Clean Energy Exploitations. Okay, Clean Energy Exploitations. It's my reference, quite frankly, and I have a soft copy on my computer and I'm always accessing it. So thanks for being a guest on my show, Ron. Tom, it's been a pleasure and happy new year to you. Yeah, happy new year to you. (laughs) Okay, so this is Tom Harrison, my guest, Ronald Stein, signing out from the other side of the story. 